Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 350 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is December 22nd, 2014. Got a good show for you this week, talking with Dan Weber and Coach Harvey Hyde about USC getting ready for Nebraska in the Holiday Bowl. We got a lot of, we got a bunch of questions. We want to get to them all. And if you have a question for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or call us at 206-888-6755. That's a voicemail. You can leave it right there or go to our website, parastylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page where it says leave a voicemail for the podcast. Try to keep it brief. We will play it on the air and get your question. And want to get in Coach Harvey Hyde here in the first segment. Thanks for taking some time out during your vacation. What's going on, Coach? How are you? Vacation? What are you talking about vacation? <laughs> you live a vacation, don't you? Oh, man, I wish I lived your life. I'm, I'm telling you, it's a... Uh... It's uh this time of the year is really uh, busy for us. I guess I should say you've got all the bowl practices to go to. You've got all the holiday parties. You've got all the other activities that we all have, including all of our listeners. And uh, it's a big part of our life. And uh, plus, uh, we got to keep track of everything that's going on. But uh, I want to say happy holidays to everyone out there. And you too, Ryan. It's been another year of our uh, podcast, and we want to thank all of our listeners out there for following us and. Uh, and thank him for participating. That's what makes the show. And uh, now it's time for a bowl game against the University of Nebraska in San Diego. I think it's going to be a great game. I think it will be too, Coach. I want to talk about the game and a lot of other stuff. Just want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or you can call them at 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything, you want to go to the Holiday Bowl, anything else, go to SCTickets.com and they will hook you up. And, uh, Coach, I wanted to talk about uh, the Holiday Bowl a little bit. It was interesting to to watch USC kind of practice in the beginning where it was just doing almost like a fall camp feel, just getting ready amongst themselves. Now they're really game planning for Nebraska. And Steve Sarkeesian had some really high praise for the, the Nebraska run game, uh, talking about, you know, the running back being maybe the best they've seen all year, the most mobile quarterback they've seen all year. What do you see when you watch some of this Nebraska film? Well, you know, I think he's uh, evaluating it uh, correctly. I think that their running back uh, is uh, Amir Abdullah is an outstanding running back. Uh, he mentioned it maybe is the best running back they've seen the entire year. I'm not sure of that. I think the Pac-12 has some outstanding running backs. Uh, Buck Allen's not a bad back that they practice against every day, along with Justin Davis. This kid, uh, Amir uh, Abdullah, is very fluid. I watched him play last year against UCLA. I think he's a great athlete. He's a receiver. Like Foster is at Arizona State and a running back. He can do both. He's really, a, I think, an outstanding athlete. He's going to be a difficult athlete to stop because of uh, their their quarterback, as you just mentioned. I think their quarterback's an outstanding athlete also, and USC has a history of having problems as far as start, stopping athletic quarterbacks. Tommy Armstrong uh, can run the ball and pass the ball. I think he's a better passer than that Tyler Murphy that they played at uh, Boston College, he's, he's, and they played good competition. The last year, if you remember, in the, the bowl they played in, I can't remember the bowl game they played in, but they beat Georgia from the Southeastern Conference, 24-19. So, uh, you know, they can play good football. They know what it is to go up-tempo, and they're going to get excited about USC. Because USC, you know, it's it's a main big-time program, as Nebraska is. Uh, so, and, and on defense, uh, you've heard Coach Sarkeesian talk about their defensive end. He, he says that he's a similar type of kid of, or, uh, of Orchard, the kid that plays uh, at uh, what does Orchard play? I forgot the school he played at. Uh, the big defensive end. Uh, the From main the... Oh, at Utah. At okay, Utah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's he's a heck of a player. So they they've got a good secondary. Uh, they've given up uh, not many yards in the secondary, but they haven't faced receivers in the Big Ten like you're going to face against USC and a thrower like Cody Kessler. They haven't faced that. So it's going to be a different type of brand of football and great athletes that USC has against Nebraska. And, of course, the coaching change there 
Ryan always causes a problem. You don't know how the team will react, especially the way Bob Pelini went out as far as ripping on everybody and saying nobody cared about the team but him and all the support they didn't get. So, you know, the team could either show up and be mad about the whole situation or they can come and show up and say, let's just get it over with. But uh, they have a lot of tradition there. And, you know, Ryan, before I forget, and I shouldn't say this, you know, I should say this because I think people will understand what I'm trying to say, is even the fans in Nebraska aren't supporting the Holiday Bowl. They've sold about 4,500 tickets. I mean, normally when Nebraska travels, when they travel anywhere, Stanford, anywhere, they buy every ticket in the in the, in the the venue. Yeah. They bought every ticket. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, completely. So, it's uh, completely, and in, in they're having, you know, SC sold 10,000 so far. Nebraska sold about 4,500. So, you know, I, I can't really read into their, their program and what's going on, but I'll tell you what, they've had, they have great tradition. And I think it would be a great football game. Do I expect SC to win? Yes. You mentioned uh, Randy Gregory is the, their star defensive end. A lot of people talk about him and, and Leonard Williams, you know, going really high in the draft. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see kind of, you know, how he comes out and, and, and plays and if USC, if that offensive line is going to be able to, to handle him because he can get pressure on Cody Kessler and really kind of disrupt things. But he's, he seems to me the, the key on the Nebraska defense right now. Oh, he is. He definitely is, and he'll probably be playing over uh, Lobodon, and uh, we'll see what happens with that. It'll be a great matchup for Lobodon as far as earning his stripes. Uh, and uh, Santos is a pretty good linebacker they have returning, and they've got a good safety, and uh, Corey Cooper. So they've got some players that can play. They'll have a lot of pride, and uh, it'll be a real challenge. Uh, if Nebraska shows up and if SC shows up, It'll be a great football game, and both teams have no reason why not to show up because they're playing for pride. There's a lot of difference in a record that if you're nine and four or eight and five, yeah. as far as going through your off season. You know what I mean, Ryan, with recruiting and everything. Here's SC. They bet a big victory over Notre Dame. Now you don't want to ruin that momentum by not showing up. So they got to have a big victory, and then that that'll be a pretty good off season for them. The, uh, on the Nebraska side, you mentioned the, the, the fans not really being that into it. A, a team that travels really well, especially you're talking about coming to Southern California in December. But with the firing of Bo Pelini, you, you talk about the motivation. Yeah, I mean, this is a Nebraska team that could win 10 games. And um, I think there should be motivation there. But the fans aren't that into it. Do you think there's a chance that the players aren't that into it? It's, it's not the same kind of interim coach situation we saw last year where I think in the in the Las Vegas Bowl, USC kind of was playing for Ed Orgeron, even though he wasn't there anymore. I don't know if they're playing for Bo Pelini, if they're playing for the future, playing for Mike Riley, or or not really that into it. What, what's your take on that? Well, I don't think they're real happy with the firing of Bo Pelini. You know, here's a guy that won nine games every year he was there. I mean, they were nine and four last year. It's not like they haven't won, but they there seems to have been always a lot of rumbling between him and the administration and his frustrations with them and telling them that last year, if you remember, he had a press conference that said, if you don't like me around here, just fire me. Well, he came up and went through a rant, uh, too, after one of their games uh, this <laughs> season, and uh, they did fire him. And, uh, you know, his severance package, now I don't know, I don't see these things, but what I hear was 150000 a month for 50 months. And... uh and they pay, they're supposed to pay him that. Now, another thing that I worry about, and I not worry about, why should I worry about a guy that's making that kind of money? I don't yeah, worry I about it. I wouldn't worry about anything if I was doing that. <laughs> no, I don't worry about it. But he goes and takes a, young town, a Youngstown job right away. Yeah. And instead of sitting out a while, maybe getting, you know, let things cool down and get another great job. But he loves coaching, so he gets there. And I don't know how that affects his package. But, he, you know, he might coach for free and let Nebraska pay for it. Yeah because they, you deduct the difference in what you're making. So, you know, he might take a $1 a year job and let Nebraska pay for him coaching at Youngstown. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> you can do those things, you know. Yeah. But uh, that that's, that's what but happens. But you think motivation-wise, like, do you think the players are going to come out and, and maybe not win for him or win for the 10 games? Or, or do you think there's a, a real chance that the motivation level is low? 
Well, when you look at uh, last year, USC, you know, they were playing for Clay Elton, and they like Clay Elton. They wanted him to keep. They, so, you know, they were, he was playing to stay as far as the coach at USC and coach with Steve Sarkeesian. And I think that's how really he got his full-time position because he did such a great job in the Royal Purple Las Vegas Bowl and beating Fresno State. And Steve Sarkeesian saw that. Well, already the guy that's the interim head coach in Nebraska is already accepting another job at uh, UNLV, where I used to coach. So he's already said, I'm going. So, and Mike Riley obviously isn't trying to keep him. So uh, he's out of there. So it's a whole different type of uh, situation as USC was last year when they were playing for Clay Helton in the Royal Purple Las Vegas Bowl. Yeah, Cotton. Um I mean, yeah, so he's taking another job. It's, yeah, I don't know. There's just some, it's going to be interesting. We'll see how, you know, they could come out and play well, but I could see Nebraska coming out and laying an egg too. So I don't, I don't know. It's just, this is the feeling I'm getting. It just doesn't seem like it's that the level of interest that USC had last year in their bowl game was pretty high. I don't see it being that high, but you know, who knows? They can come out and play like gangbusters. We'll just have to wait and see, I guess. I think SC will come out to play. I really believe SC will show up and play. Uh, I think Nebraska uh, will come. I, I don't know how ready they'll be to play, but I think if SC jumps on them in a hurry, and uh, I think that possibly uh, then that they might uh, hang it up. Yeah. But uh, I, I, SC's got to come to play. And if they come and they utilize their weapons and get after it and, uh, you know, play like, like Utah played yesterday. Let's just say that like Utah played yesterday against Colorado State. They gave Colorado State a you-know-what. Yep. And, and, uh, and, you know, being part of the Pac-12, which USC is, Utah already dominating possibly every single bowl team that's representing the Pac-12 can win. The only underdog in any bowl game, and I don't know if you know this, you probably do, is UCLA against Kansas State. Yeah. So, so what if they swept them all? That would say a lot for the Pac-12. It certainly would. And a good start, like you said, with Utah over the weekend. So we'll have to see how that goes. Um, let's jump to some questions. Just, just have a few, and we'll let you go, Coach, because I know you got a lot to do. Melvin says, Coach Hyde last week talked about the bonus money that each coach receives for getting his team into a bowl at the end of the season. Is that common? Does Steve Sarkeesian get additional pay? For the Holiday Bowl, I was surprised to see in the L.A. Times an article about the gifts that players receive for being in the bowl game. My question is, does the NCAA allow the university to pay for parents of the players who are giving a plane ticket and hotel uh, to be to go there and see their son in the Holiday Bowls in the different bowl games? I guess there's two questions there. He, he likes to sneak yeah. in extra ones, Melvin does. Well, I'm, I'm proud of him. He's trying to get as much <laughs> as he can, man. But, uh, the, no, they, the university can't pay for any of the, the parents' travel or hotel arrangements or any of that, no matter what bowl game they go to or in any situation, uh, just for the, the student-athlete himself. Uh, as far as the bonuses situation, it's almost now, uh, I don't know of a, of a contract currently right now that doesn't have those type of incentives. And I'm not just talking about coaches. I'm talking about athletic directors having these type of uh, bonuses in, in their contract. If if my overall uh, grade point average in our athletic department is a certain amount, uh, I'm going to get another bonus. Uh, there's so many bonuses right now. I'll give you an example, and I know I don't know what Steve Sarkeesian's is, but I know it, it is. There's bonuses always in there to give you more additional funds and motivate you to do certain things. The UNLV situation. They just hired a new football coach at UNLV. So they're they're not going to pay him as much as what he they were going to pay him because he wanted more money, wanted more money for his assistant coaches. So he said, rather than pay me a lot, let's give it to my assistant coaches where I can get better assistant coaches, which makes sense. But if we're successful, then I want to get paid. So he's got all these bonuses in there that if I'm coach of the year of the conference, I get so much, like twenty five thousand. If we win our conference, I get so much. I'm just throwing these figures out, like 25000 If we go to a bowl game, uh, uh, I get another $25,000. Uh, if we go to a, a big bowl game, I get another $100,000. So there are so – and at a certain grade point uh, of our team, there's another 50000 
So all of these type of incentives are all in the coach's contracts. So every time a coach reaches one of these plateaus, this kicks in. Yeah. So there's a lot of motivation for coaches to win because it's a payday for them. So, uh, yes, I would say, I don't know. You know, coaches have agents now. I didn't have an agent when I coached. It was a handshake and this is what you're supposed to get and the way you went. Today you've got people that negotiate for you. They actually, you know, they're not. A, you, when you don't negotiate, you just want the job. When agents negotiate, they want you to get everything, but they get more. Yeah. So you know, it's a whole <laughs> different ball of wax, isn't it? it certainly is. And uh, and you know, the the first part of the question for Melvin, I just wanted to bring this up and get your thoughts on it too, Coach. Uh, players, parents. I mean, you can't bring your family members to the bowl game. It's not paid for by the school. Well, when you're talking about that's an argument against the playoffs and even expanding the playoffs to another week because can your your families probably can't even come see you just because it's so expensive, especially not just a one bowl game, but now you're talking about potentially two or three. Um, that's one of the arguments against the playoff or, or them having to do something about it. Family members won't even be able to come and see just because it gets too expensive watching those, you know, trying to travel multiple places in consecutive weeks. You're exactly right. And I don't know if I did my – Ran rave on on the playoff situation on our podcast. I, I, I'll probably do a little bit on the air when I when I get on the pregame show about this. But you know, a natural for the Rose Bowl this year, a natural. And I don't care what the rankings. It shouldn't be one, two, three, four. It should be four best teams. The four best teams, and then put them in an area that geographically it's best for those fans and those teams. Now, this year, and if I've said this, just tell me, Ryan. I'll quit we, talking. we talked about it last week a little bit, but you can touch on it again. Go ahead. Why wouldn't Oregon be playing Ohio State in the Rose Bowl when it's a natural Rose Bowl game of tradition? Big Ten, Pac-12. Ohio State, people in Ohio want to get out of the cold. they got a lot of people that live in California that want to buy tickets to go to the Rose Bowl. Florida State was at the Rose Bowl last year. All right. The Sugar Bowl, exact, perfect location for all of their fans to go to New Orleans. Great situation to play that football game. People can see the game. Now when you look at the ticket sales, as far as what's happening in Pasadena, everything is down. Even, you know, Oregon's tickets are a little bit down because of they're looking to travel to Arlington. Yeah. Florida was here last year. I mean, Rose Bowl tickets are out there. Call Southern California tickets. So if you'll get your tickets. Uh, Equestrian's down. The Rose Parade is down. Everything's down, and it shouldn't be down. I mean, here's an organization that supported the NCAA and college athletics for years, 100 years. This is the 101st game. And then when I, I want to find out what happened in that meeting why people didn't stand up and say, let's keep the tradition, let's help those people that have do, done this for all these years. And they didn't do that. No, they didn't. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I'm, that's one negative effect. Attendance at these playoffs might be down because, like you said, Oregon might skip. You know, And Florida State's already been to Pasadena last year. Do you want to do that again? Oregon might say, well, I'm going to save it and try to go to, you know, to Texas the following week. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens on that. Um, Tarek had a question for you, Coach. Uh, an aesthetics question for Coach Hyde. I agree USC should keep the uniforms as it is, as they are. But have, what if you think about an alternative uniform as well so that the old school and the new school could both be happy? Love your commentary and fight on. So he wants to sneak in like a, one uniform a, a year or something, Coach. What do you think about that? Well, you know, you remember when Notre Dame used to do that? Notre Dame would come out in one green jersey yeah. against SC or somebody, huh? Once yep. a year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if if I knew for sure, okay, if I knew for sure that was what it was going to be and they could keep the traditional jerseys with the white socks and jerseys tucked in and certain types of, you know, allowable tape and the whole pack, the deal, no pink shoes and all of the <laughs> – you know, the towel waving and all of the above. If it was just disciplined football, everything USC style, as it's always been, I'd be for that 100%. I'd be willing to give a little bit to get a lot. 
and then one game of the year, if you if you if, if it's a psych thing or something, come out with the uniforms opposite or something, you know, gold and red pants or cardinal pants or whatever. I'd be willing to do that to keep the tradition of the, of the. If I was a coach, I'd be willing to do that as far as the tradition of the university and the alumni. All right, there you go. So, coach, a little little wiggle room there on the uniforms. I'm I'm not a big uniform guy myself. I wouldn't mind that, but I do kind of like the tradition, like a lot of other people do. Right. I love I love the tradition. I, you know, and you've always heard me say, you know, if you want people to know who you are, just play like hell, and they'll figure it out. <laughs> Cool. And then we got one last one. It's a little bit long, Coach. So bear with me, and then we'll uh, we'll let you go. Earl in West L.A. Uh, isn't it ironic that one of the biggest criticisms of Elaine Kiffin is also a big criticism of Steve Sarkeesian? What I find interesting about that is while calling plays made them both lose sight of the overall big picture, the game results were quite different. Both coaches had big victories calling plays. Oregon, UCLA, Notre Dame for Kiffin in 2011. Stanford, Notre Dame for Sarkeesian this season. The big difference is... Kiffin never lost a lead, while Sark's play calling resulted in last-minute losses to Arizona State and Utah narrow victories over Arizona and California after having big leads. At times, Kiffin gave the impression of someone that was so uncomfortable on the big stage that he was using that Denny's play menu or play calling as an excuse to hide behind. Steve Sarkeesian, on the other hand, doesn't seem to trust his staff enough to relinquish play calling to, to relinquish that play calling role. Yet, in close situations, his will to win seems to be overwhelmed by his fear of losing. The Trojan family is not a patient lot, and I'm just as disappointed our 10-win team turned into an 8-win team as everyone else is. But all great great men fall before they succeed, and we do need to give Coach Sark at least one more year to prove he's the right man for this job. Thanks for the great show. Happy holidays and beat the Huskers, Earl in West L.A. So he started start off all negative, Coach, and then he turned around and said, but give him another chance. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and, you know, I've always said this, and you've heard me say this, you don't learn on the job at USC. I mean, when you come to USC, I look at USC as the type of coaching position that you've proven yourself, that you know the best way to win, you know how you best surround yourself with people to win, you know the level of players that you need to have to win, you have a staff that you can put together that, deserves to be at USC, and then you go to USC, and you administrate it, and you make sure it happens. It's like being the CEO of General Motors or the White House, the president. And and this is the way I look at USC as one of those coaching jobs. If you look around the country, everyone realizes USC is probably Alabama, USC, Ohio State, best coaching jobs in the country. Notre Dame was. I think it's dropped down. I don't think there's a lot of... The same, excuse me, all you Irish fans, the same feeling that Notre Dame that once was there. Uh, you know, they're not in a conference. The teams are in another conference. It's just not the same. But USC has always been the same. And, and you know, every time when we talk about we lost games we were in front of, we lost games because we didn't time management, we we get distracted, we don't do this, we don't do that. Well, those things shouldn't happen when you coach at USC. Uh, I just mean now it's going to happen if you coach anywhere. It's going to happen. Uh, but you come to USC prepared and knowing exactly you've gotten all those thrills out of your life of things you haven't been able to do before when you were younger on another staff. And when you come to USC, then you're ready to fly Air Force One. You've always heard me say that. And uh, a lot of times younger coaches still want to call plays. Younger coaches still want to have that type of, uh, well, I call it a distraction, but you can't because I don't think you can compare, uh, com- uh, prepare as well. Because you have too many things to do as a head football coach that's distracting. Recruit, press conferences, parrots, meetings, academic meetings, all these things that take you away from the film room and working with your team, yet you can control the entire game through your headsets, both offensively and defensively, and also you don't favor one side of the football. You're the head coach of the entire team. You not just have the responsibility the offensive side of the team. You have the special teams. All the players know they play for one person on all of the part of the teams. So, you know, I've always felt that way, but uh, I, I want that, and I agree as this guy, you know, 
Steve Sarkeesian's got to be able to prove himself and, and get this worked out. There are some games everyone felt they should have won this year uh, because of time management or game management, but that's that's over with. Now everyone's going to evaluate what happens in the bowl game, what happens in the holiday bowl. And this is why I'm saying it's very important that they prepare themselves to go down and finish the season with a big win and get their big uh, ninth win and go into the off season and have a tremendous recruiting year and recruit the type of players that make you a number one player. You recruit the type of players that can win a national championship. And uh, that's part of being a head football coach too. All right, coach. Great stuff. We really appreciate you coming in uh, during this holiday time and, uh, and keep keeping the show going. We love to keep the Peristyle podcast going 365 days a year. So we're going to keep doing it through Christmas and the New Year's and all that kind of good stuff and, of course, the bowl game. But thanks again, Coach, for coming on, and we will talk to you soon. Ryan, happy holidays to you, your family, everyone out there. Again, we want to thank all of you for joining us uh, here on our podcast. And uh, take care of yourself. Be careful and uh, enjoy your family. All right. Thanks very much, Coach. Everyone else back in a minute. We're going to talk with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, Some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to circlemarketing.com and see if they're right for you. Circlemarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Joining us is Dan Weber, uscfootball.com. Beat writer extraordinaire, and he was out at all of the bowl practice. I think there's... The ten or eleven of them, Dan, but I just wanted to kind of ten, get... uh, ten, ten, ten. Yeah, we got. I don't think they're going to get all fifteen. They're going to get fourteen. It looks like, uh, uh, but that's pretty good considering last year. I think they only got six. So, uh, uh, and I think they've done a good job. I think this has worked out pretty well. I think they've, you know, they've seven uh, in full pads, and uh, the kids just like playing football, and uh, that's pretty neat. Yeah, it's pretty neat, and uh, I thought it was, you know, the practices seemed a little bit more fall camp-like, I guess you could say. Uh, I think seven or eight of the ten were in full pads, and I think both of us came away kind of impressed with the work that the, the guys were putting in getting ready for the bowl game. Yeah, I mean, I I really, I like, you know, and, and we said that, uh, like the approach, uh, Sark, and the uh, the up-tempo, and, uh, you know, the way he approached everything, I think uh, this season, and then uh, then when you got to the game weeks, I, I think uh, you know there was the whole issue of you know we're not going to say anything about the numbers, but the numbers are the numbers, and there might have been you know, and then there was the freshmen or the freshmen, and so I think there was a lot of thinking that went on uh, that was a little different from from just the playing. I mean, I thought the playing and the practicing, and with this team. And these are kids, they just love to play ball. And, uh, you know, they were so excited last year when they got kind of turned loose, uh, you know, after the first five games. And that's carried on. And uh, so we've seen a lot, you know, similar, I think, in the, the two bowl preps, even though, you know, they've had twice as many practices or going to have twice as many practices this year as last year. You just kind of have that same feeling about this team. Last year they had some things they kind of wanted to make up for in the postseason. Obviously, last year they did, and they wanted to get to that 10 win, uh, you know, that number. And uh, this year they've got some things they want to make up for, 
And uh, so I think you know the bowl game. Uh, this has been a uh, uh, this has been very good, I think, for this team, and probably good for the coaching staff. Uh, Kevin in South Orange County had a question, kind of along the practice lines. Uh, he said, "I read on the premium chat this week." So he's talking about our uscfootball.com. We do uh, chats on Tuesday nights uh, for uscfootball.com members, so it's a premium chat. Um, he said, he read on this week that you had some concerns and questions about Sark and the staff and their game week prep uh, during the season. Would you elaborate on that and ask Dan to share his thoughts as well? Curious to know uh, what they do or don't do that you think is problematic. That's Kevin in South Orange County. I'll go first. Just the uh, I thought they they wound down a little bit at the end of the year, uh, and uh, we didn't see as much ones against ones as as Hart says, goods on goods. They really liked that. They needed uh, to keep the speed up. Uh, I I thought there was probably an, there was some overthinking going on in terms of uh, you know uh, let's say first half, second half. Okay, I mean to go from you know. Just about the best team in the country, and I don't, we don't we don't have all those numbers, but uh, to look at their first quarter, you know, scoring uh, where they outscored teams by like 120 points, you know, an average of 10 points a game in the first quarter, and to come up as a deficit in the you know the fourth quarter, and it wasn't really. You talk to the players, they absolutely say no, it wasn't. We were wearing down. It was the way they you know the game was being called. And uh, I do think, you know, that if you went out and threw the ball all over the place with all the, you know, the weapons they've got, the receivers, and you got a young offensive line that pass blocks pretty well, and then you come out the second half and say, we're going to run the ball, we're going to run the ball, <clears throat> we're, you know, run first team, and we got to be balanced, and we got to, and that doesn't do any good. Uh, and you say, well, if you throw the ball and we go three and out, the clock doesn't run, and that makes the game longer, and all of that. That's just too much thinking. If you're doing well, throwing the ball, you just throw the ball. You just keep you do what works. And you know, if teams are trying like Boston College and that te- you know to really take the run away. You don't know, keep trying to force the run. Uh, and so I, I think there were some of those situations where, in the second half, where you needed somebody to make a play, either on offense or defense. They didn't have the ability to do that. They didn't have the ability to turn them loose and let somebody make a play when they needed that that to be done. Uh, they didn't have a go-to uh, run play, for example. Uh, third and two on the 27 at Utah. They got two plays to get a first down. Game's over. Uh, they tried, you know, kind of two trick plays. Uh, that's not a good. That's not what a good team does. A good team has you know, the ability to say, this is who we are. This is how we win games in these situations. So uh, so there was some of that. I think it was the first year, you know, adjustment, which is what, you know, it's a young coaching staff, you know, in, in a lot of ways, and, um, a, uh, and a young team. And it was the first time at USC, and, and they kind of had to learn, uh, learn the hard way. But, uh, you know, you got to be hopeful that uh, – that they really learned all those lessons. I mean, Sark sounds different. He looks different in a way in terms of he's going to be more demanding. They're going to be more physical. And uh, he's been on them more. Uh, and um, I think that's kind of how – I think you got to be kind of a tough guy coach at USC. I don't know that any of the top ten historic programs in the country can you coach there without being a pretty tough guy. And I think that's uh, that's a lesson – that's uh, maybe being learned. We'll see. And uh, I'll just add a. I'm sorry. I can go, ahead, I said, go ahead, Ryan. You, you far away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all, all good points. And I just wanted. To, I'll add like a couple of things. And it's it's mostly about for me kind of change when things change. When if you remember the first day of practice, I think it was fall camp. They did a walkthrough and and, and a regular workout. And I think they ran almost 200 plays in that day. And uh, leading up to the Fresno game, it seemed like it was about tempo, and then they kind of got away from that. So I think some of it was just trying to protect the team that he felt there was, you know, a few injuries away from being devastating. So, uh, but there was, I think they changed that. And then also at some point it, during the season, they used to always end practice for as long as I can remember. Pete Carroll did, Lane Kiffin did. You ended practice like what Dan mentioned, ones on ones. You know, they would goods on goods, and they would end practice that way. When the three horns were coming, 
to end practice, it was always first team against first team. They were playing each other. Then you might go to second team and stuff. But you would always kind of end practice like that. And now, and and towards the end, it started ending practice on some service team stuff. And it just wasn't the same as it was before. So for me, I'd have liked, I, I thought there were some changes that kind of went from the way they started the practice to the end. And I kind of wanted to see them get back to where they started to. I don't, I don't know if you have any comments on that, Dan. Yeah. And I think they're doing that a little bit. We're seeing, you know, at least three ones on ones periods, uh, even if they're quick or short, uh, we're, uh, we're seeing, uh, some ones on twos, uh, it's not all, you know, ones on, you know, ones and twos against scout team. We're also seeing, I think the scout team has, has given a really good effort this year. And, and what you see in the bowl practices are because they have enough chance to work, and the scout team also got to work in when they did a lot of third team stuff, uh, the first six practices, is they're getting up to speed a little bit more. So, uh, and they know what they're supposed to do and what it's supposed to look like. So they're able to practice more at tempo. That was what Sark said the other day. He thought the execution was the best he's that he'd seen in the uh, postseason, maybe all year. And one of the reasons, I think, is the fact that, uh, you know, if they're going against the scout team, the scout team really knows what they're supposed to be doing as well. And so uh, so you see, uh, see them getting back more into the up-tempo mode. And I think the hardest thing they've had to do, as Ryan said, is to blend uh, going up-tempo and going with all the plays and going fast and, and, and game conditions and do that while you're installing a game plan uh, week to week to week. You know, my worry was when Sark said two things, we're going to be up-tempo and we're really going to practice and play faster than you've seen, and we're going to game plan every single week for the opponent we play in a way that where we really install, you know, something unique. And it makes you wonder, I'm not sure those two are completely compatible because if you're going to be yourself, this is who we are, this is how we win games, this is what we do, this is what our weapons are, this is how we're going to beat you, uh, what you'd like to be able to do is to make them adjust to you but not you spend a lot of time adjusting to them. And I think maybe there's been more of that than you would like to see and maybe less of the up-tempo and the go, go, go and put them on their heels and make them adjust to us. And, and that's, the, uh, that's the constant tug of, of a football coach is making those decisions, how much of it is, you know, uh, adjusting to the other team, being kind of a counterpuncher, how much of it is we're going to do what we do so well they're going to have to adjust to us. And that's uh, – that's the big uh, that's the big question that every coach has to answer, uh, you know, for himself is how do you get that blend and that balance? And we will definitely see on uh, December 27th. See how they come out. I think they're going to come out and play well, though, like Dan was saying. So it'll be interesting to watch there. Um, Bearsecutor had a question. He says, "What are you hearing, if anything, about Juju Smith going both ways, uh, like a Dory Jackson next year?" Well, Juju wants to, no question about it. And if you ask him, he'll say that. Uh, if you ask Sark, you say, well, have you and Juju talked about that? And he said, nah, he hadn't talked to me about it. But, he, you know, he'll talk to us about it. If we say anything, Juju will certainly answer any question we ever we ask him, and he'll say, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. Uh, Sark said, you know, it'll be considered. They'll think about it. Uh, whether, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, can you have two guys doing that? Does it? You can see one guy doing it, two, I'm not sure uh, how much sense that that makes. Uh, I mean, I think you can always uh, adjust to fit it whichever way you're going with one guy. Uh, two guys, I mean, you know, now you're talking half your defensive backfield, for example. Uh, you can fit them, you know, it's easier to, I think it's easier to fit Adore in on offense, to slip him in there for a play that he can really run and before anybody knows that he's in the end zone, uh, but to slip Juju in on offense or on defense, for example, at safety, that's uh, that's a little more, you know, of an issue, I would think. But, uh, but you know, Sark said, you know, we'll evaluate it. And he said, of course, I know Juju wants to do that. And he said, that's just what you would expect of Juju. But uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I was 
a hundred percent or however many percentage points you can be for Adori going both ways. I mean, or all three ways, you know, special teams as well. Not so sure that I am totally uh, on board with uh, Juju, you know, playing safety. But we'll see. Uh, you know, it'll that'll be something to you know. Why? I mean, it's something they could you know talk to recruits about. You can you know you come to USC and you're a, one of these top ten athletes in the country, and uh, if you can do it, you can go you know play both ways. But uh, I think that one has to really be thought out. Juju on defense. Yeah, we'll see. Um, it'll be interesting. And I think it depends on this recruiting class a little bit too, Dan, what they feel like their safety depth is uh, going into next year and, um, you know, and receiver depth too. So I, th- I think all of that's going to come into play. Uh, but he wants to do it. Yeah, I think I one of the questions that, that is pretty much being answered, even though nobody says it, is that uh, Sua probably not going to be a safety. I, I, I just don't think. I think he's going to play the role he's playing now is the role he's going to stay yeah. with. Uh, he's going to be all over the field, but he's going to be up at the line of scrimmage a lot. And um, uh, I just – so I know some people have thought, well, maybe he could go back there. And I, I don't think that's happening. Yeah, I, I talked to uh, Keith Hayward. The video is going up on uscfootball.com too. And didn't hear anything from him that suggested that Sua Cravens could move back there. So it seems like he moved down. That's the way to go. And – uh We'll see where that goes. Um, Melvin had a question, Dan, uh, and we can talk. We'll we'll finish up the podcast, kind of talking about Nebraska. He says, "What kind of team play should we expect from Nebraska? Running team, passing team, great defensive team. What might be their weakness?" So Melvin just wants to you know, get a little preview of what Nebraska's like. Well, I mean, I think they've got some interesting athletes. I mean, uh, obviously, Amir Abdullah is you know a kid out of Alabama. I mean, he's out of Homewood, Alabama. Birmingham summer, and he ends up at Nebraska, uh, and he's just an absolute. And I, I don't disagree with Sark when he says he's the best, you know, running back they'll face this year. And uh, you know, he's a rocket, and they use him in a lot of different ways and line him up in a lot of different places. And uh, you know, you better you better account for him. I don't know, I don't know if he's a hundred percent, but he can play, and he's a. Uh, you know, he's one of the guys. He's a kind of. That's why you want to go to a bowl game to get to play against somebody like that. Uh, but uh, quarterback Tommy Armstrong is another. You know, really. And again, Sark said he might be the best running quarterback they played against, which gets you a little nervous when you remember the Murphy kid from Boston College. So uh, uh, then there's uh, Randy Gregory, the defensive end, who, again, we're not sure what his health situation is, but. You know, I'm seeing drafts where, you know, if Leonard's number one, he's number two. Or if Leonard's number three, he's number four. And you think, wow, you know, this kid, I mean, people love him in a lot of ways, even though there are, you know, he's kind of a lean a lean kid, but, uh, you know, very athletic. And uh, his health status, we're not sure. I don't think we're going to know. I don't know if we'll know when we, when, when we get there. But, uh, uh and I guess basically Nebraska doesn't do anything exactly like anybody USC's played. They run a lot of, I don't know, fly sweeps. If you remember how Oregon State used to used to do some things, they do a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, they When you talk to the defensive linemen, they all say they expect to be double teamed, so they're coming right at you that way, a, a Nebraska team. Uh, they also throw the ball deep, and you know maybe the classy kind of run, run, run play action. And they've got an all Big Ten uh, receiver, what is Taylor Bell? I guess it's his name. And I don't know what his injury situation is too. I don't know that he's. I think they've got some. They've got some banged up guys, and and and, and what shape they're going to be in? I, I think it's really an interesting question. I know the interim coach Bonnie Cotton has already taken a job as a defensive line coach at UNLV, which seems kind of a an unusual, you know, move, uh, you know, for the guy who's the interim coach right now at the University of Nebraska with Mike Riley's staff coming in. Uh, I don't know if they've got as good a situation as USC last year was remarkable the way the team and the coaches all, you know, even with losing, you know, Ed, with Ed leaving, 
that the way they pulled together was absolutely remarkable. I don't know that we'll ever see anything quite like that. I know Sark is talking about that they may rally around and uh, and try to get it all done. The question I've got is if you listen to that uh, farewell uh, speech that uh, uh, Bo Pelini gave his team two days after he got fired, you just wonder where their heads are, uh, you know, in terms of how that's all going. Because if you compare that, I did get a chance to listen to uh, Ed Orgeron's uh, final talk, and the difference in the way uh, he w- he encouraged the USC players, and even if he wasn't going to be there, um, and the way they carried that with them uh, through Las Vegas, and the way Clay Helton handled it, you know, magnificently. Whether Nebraska can do that or not, I don't know. I think it's a big challenge, uh, you know, for Nebraska. But they do have some, you know, they've got a tradition, obviously. They've got a lot of stars. Uh, they played more bowl games than USC has, actually. Uh, so, and it would be interesting to see uh, how this how this sets up in terms of, you know, Nebraska. I mean, they obviously, defensively, they've got some issues. They're the team that gave up whatever it was, 400 and however many yards this Melvin Gordon from Wisconsin, you know, had that day that broke the NCAA record. Uh, so there are some issues uh, with him uh, defensively. Yeah, it should be a really interesting matchup. And I, I was talking to Coach Harvey Hyde, Dan, about this too, motivation factor. And I, the reasons for motivation are there. I mean, it's it's different, like you mentioned, with USC. But, you know, having an interim coach, uh, you know, who are you playing for? Are you playing for Bonnie Cotton, who's already leaving? Uh, but you can get to 10 games. There's a lot of pride on the line. Um, but they haven't sold a lot of tickets, which is really weird for right. a Nebraska squad. And I was just questioning, it just seems like something doesn't feel right, Dan. It feels like the motivation might not be there. We don't, we don't know until we find out, I mean, until we see the game. But it just seems like something's a little off. It does, yeah. There's no question about it. People are they, – they weren't happy letting Polini go exactly, but they knew he probably wasn't right and – you know, there's the whole issue with him and the athletic director and, you know, were they getting the kind of support they they should have gotten. And th- th- something's going on there that we, you know, and, and maybe Mike Riley is exactly the right person, you know, a really good guy and a really good person to, to get in there and to, to kind of, you know, settle that thing down. But he's not going to be coaching, you know, this game. And um, it's uh, – I think it's going to be a real challenge for them, uh, for Nebraska, for this game. I think it's really going to be a challenge. Uh, uh, it just doesn't. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't have that 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 feel to it. But uh, you know, they got some. They've got some guys who can play, and um, you know, and I like that. I mean, I think that's good for USC. They've got a a name that people respect, and they've got a you know a tradition that. You know that certainly uh, you know stands up awfully well, and uh, and they've got some players that can play. Yeah, if, if USC sleeps or you know comes in here and sleepwalking or expects expects Nebraska to lay down, they're probably looking you know barking up the wrong tree there. But I, it'll be interesting to see. You know, we don't for bowl games it's weird because you take three four weeks off and you just don't know what kind of team is coming back. It could be a completely different team than what you saw at the end of the season. Will USC look as sharp as they did against Notre Dame? I mean, you just never know. With bowl games, it's just I mean you're talking about a bunch of kids that are 19 years old and their motivation and and all of that. So a lot of weird factors kind of go into bowl games to begin with. But in this situation, it just seems like something's a little weird, which probably means Dan they're going to come out and play like gangbusters and, and look as good as we've ever seen them. <laughs> Although the thing I always thought was the genius of Pete Carroll in that whole era was the the team that played in the bowl was usually way better than the team you saw yeah. in the last regular season game. That was amazing. Nobody else was doing that. No. I mean, they were they had figured out a way to most of the time get themselves to <clears throat> and so the team that you were playing was trying to play that USC team they saw on film and that wasn't the team they would hit in the bowl game. And that didn't happen very often now. Whether that, you know, that kind of magic, uh, you know, can happen again or not, I don't know. The other thing I think, too, with, with Nebraska, they've got some good, uh, statistically, uh, defensively against the pass. 
and yet you get the sense that they don't play almost anybody that can throw the ball probably the way USC can. So that'll be interesting to see how that how that holds up in terms of you know how good are they against the pass and and you know I I, I think it's hard. It was hard sometimes. You would run into those Big Ten teams in the Rose Bowl that you know had good records on defense. You know Michigan or uh, Penn State, and yet they hadn't really played anybody that could throw the ball. And they were really, when USC would decide, okay, we're going to throw the ball, you know, now, like they did the second half against Michigan or whatever, those teams were in trouble. So that'll be an interesting thing for me to see is um, how well Nebraska's uh, pass defense holds up. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Thanks for uh, coming on and talking about the Holiday Bowl during the holidays. And we'll we'll see you out there uh, on December 27th. Should be a really interesting time up there in the press box checking this one out. Thanks for coming on again. Well, I enjoyed it and can't wait to get down to down to San Diego. We got at least three or four days down there and, well, I guess four. And uh looks like it'll be kind of a compact uh, bowl kind of experience in, in San Diego. And I think Sark said the other day that because they he thought they'd be ready to play this weekend and, and it'll be fine-tuning next week, he thinks they'll be able to, you know, not only get all the football done, but, you know, get get a chance to enjoy the San Diego Zoo or SeaWorld or, um, you know, the the luncheon that they're going to have on a working, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what they call it, not a battleship. looks like a kind of a half air, aircraft carrier and, uh, you know, sort of a, a combination of aircraft carrier and some kind of attack, you know, cruiser or whatever. Oh, neat, but, yeah. But, yeah, so they get to go on there for a day, and um, I think it'll be, uh, you know, a, a good chance, a good experience, uh, you know, for these kids, and they're all looking forward to it. I mean, I think they really, you know, like the idea, and USC's never been to San Diego for the Holiday Bowl, so, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons, it's, it's kind of a, you know, kind of a neat game. Yeah, it certainly is. All right, well, it's Dan Weber. Thanks to Coach Harvey Hyde as well, and everyone else. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Enjoy the bowl game, and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 